this is Leadership and Lattes. I'm Crystal Roberts, and I'm here virtually with my co-host, Danielle Lord. Hello, Hi, Danielle. Hello. <laughs> how are you doing today? Doing quite well. Crystal, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad that the smoke is gone. I'll the just smoke like... is gone. <laughs> and the sun is out. We had rain, and the sun is back out. So it's it's all good. It's a good thing. It's really beginning to start to feel like fall, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The leaves are turning golden, and what a beautiful, beautiful day. So um, it's a good day to be talking about um, an emerging field, so back to school and something new. So merging field around leadership with um, neuro, uh, the study of neuroscience and that inter interplay with leadership and management. And so I'm excited yeah. to have a conversation today. Um, Me too. I love this stuff. And I think that as uh, more and more information comes out about the, the relationship between leadership and the neurosciences, I just think this is such an important topic for leaders to, to have a, a grasp of. Yes, for sure. I think one of the things that has been interesting as we look at this and have learned about this, um, I mean, it's really been over the last 20 years, I guess, that, that there's been more and more study around this, but it feels like it's just really exploded kind of in the last, you know, five years, maybe a little more, um, as they, they've been able to do more study of the brain as well as um, the technology piece where they're actually able to look inside the brain all of the connections that are happening there and how they can see that there's, um, you know, when certain things happen, there's certain parts of the brain that light up. So yeah. sort of the, um, the technology piece of it along with just the study. And I thought the other thing that was super interesting was the, that a lot of the concepts around um, engagement and motivation and um, innovation and all these um, things that we know are so important for leaders. These the notions and the 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 methodology has been around for a while, but now we just are able to prove that there's actually um, sort of a physical uh, aspect to that. It's not just uh, you know good leadership. We know it actually is happening in the brain as well. Yeah. So I thought that's really yeah. interesting. It, and it's it's nice, isn't it, to be able to give leaders some tangible things like that to say, look, the, you know, we can talk about this. We know it. Most of us who work in this field, we can kind of intuit it. But when you can show them the science and show them the brain scans of the different areas of the brain lighting up and show them that really hard stuff, sometimes that is really what helps to make the the sale, if you will. That this is this stuff is real. <laughs> yeah, it's verse. We always talk about it as the soft stuff. You know, the soft stuff. But there's real science now, real science behind um, why why this stuff works. Indeed. So, so that's what today um, is unpacking that a little bit to really um, explore that today. So it is it is fun, and I guess the other thing I would say before we dive in is just that it is an emerging field, and so there's still so much that um, that we're learning about. So, and of course, we've only got, you know, a half an hour or so with this podcast. So we're obviously not going to get to all of it, but also recognizing that it shifts over time. What we learn, uh, we're going to be, you know, over the next 
many years, we'll be learning more and more about the brain and how it impacts our ability to lead um, uh, our organizations. So to get us sort of to jump off, um, so thinking about neuroscience and leadership specifically, and then we can talk a little bit later about um, neuroscience and change management and creativity and innovation. There's kind of some different sub sub um, sets that we can talk about. Um, one of the things that we talk about when you and I work together on leadership is the SCARF model. And that comes to us from Dave from the Neural Leadership Institute. And uh, his work was pretty groundbreaking to really think about um, our motivations, uh, both from sort of that fight or flight um, and what we uh, go away from and what we're drawn to um, based on that model. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, I love the SCARF model. And it's, it's the beautiful thing is that it's really simple to remember SCARF. So SCARF, just like what you wrap around your neck, <laughs> stands for uh, status. So how, what is, how are you feeling in, in, about your perceived status in a particular group? Uh, the C is for certainty. Are you feeling certain about the tasks that you need to accomplish? Are you feeling certain about the role that you play, et cetera? Um, autonomy is, is the A in the SCARF model. So how much autonomy do you have? Do you need? Do you feel like you have? Uh, the R stands for relatedness. So how well am I relating to folks within a particular group or my subset? And then fairness uh, rounds out kind of the SCARF model or the SCARF word, if you will, acronym. Uh, so how, how do I perceive that I'm being treated fairly in a certain, uh, certain situation um, or again within a group? Right? You, you, we all know group dynamics, there are sometimes folks are just perceived to be treated differently. And we pick up on those perceptions, right? Just like we talked about. So the idea behind the SCARF model, and there's some great videos on YouTube, if you just put in the SCARF model or uh, Dr. David Rock, I believe, and um, you'll find some videos of him explaining it, and he does a much better job than I do. Uh, but within that SCARF model, if that's the, the vertical axis, if you will, the SCARF model, you have uh, either a what, something that motivates you or something that you perceive as a threat. And so uh, you're kind of constantly moving on this continuum of motivation or threat um, up and down uh, that vertical axis of the SCARF model. And you can, um, it, it, you not, it's not just one, it's not just the F, uh, uh, the S, that might be triggered, it could be all of them that get triggered in, in, a, in a certain way, depending on your background and um, the, the, the context that you're in. And you know, there's so many variables that play into that. But yeah, that's kind of a, a very short synopsis of the SCARF model. Yeah, thank what you. What did I miss, Crystal? What did I leave out? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that's good. Um, yeah, can you give an example of um, what that, like somebody who's uh, thinking about maybe uh, relatedness, like where, how would that mm. fit into the SCARF model? Yeah, what so what would that look like? So I think, um, so thinking again, we talked about, you know, so many variables that play into this. So I'll use my own um, personality uh, style. Um, I'm an ENFP and that's based on the Myers-Briggs model of personality style. 
so I, uh, it, it, uh, the feeling, the F, E-N-F-P, feeling, uh, we tend to be very prone to what's going on around us. We tend to intuit emotions a little bit more. We make uh, uh, decisions, et cetera, based on our own set of values. So as a feeling type person or someone with that preference, I like to feel very engaged um, when I'm within a group setting. And so if I feel uh, that um, I, I'm not relating to others in the group or I'm feeling that they're not relating to me, I might see that as a perceived threat. And so therefore I might disassociate myself from the group or not want to participate or share my insights, et cetera. I might kind of go inside myself, right? And be very quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Great example. Yeah. Um, one that I was thinking about for myself, uh, given these times that we're in is the, the certainty, um, aspect of that. And I think, yeah, yeah, in this time of uncertainty. And so that can, um, that can trigger our threat, uh, the threat response and, um, shut us down as well. So really thinking about how does, um, this time that we're living, you know, it's just so unprecedented to really be thinking about, I'm just thinking about my son and the, it seems like every time the school district makes a commitment, <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we're now online learning. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's some certainty. Oh, oh, but actually now the numbers are down. So we think you're going to be coming back. And so then everybody's all turned up again and <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they, you know, you know, the next thing that's going to be coming back is, oh, oh, well, no, actually the numbers are back up. So no, you guys are going to be back just in your distance. You know, it's like this, you can't like pin it down. You can't um, look to the future to say, okay, we know in, by the time Thanksgiving gets here, we're going to be all being able to come together and have Thanksgiving together. It's just all this churn and uncertainty and and that's just like ringing the bells in our brain around um threat and makes us move away from from um really good good thinking and judgment and really puts us can put us into that um what um we call and it came from um daniel goldman's uh, study of emotional intelligence was the amygdala hijack. So it's really about uh, how do we how do we calm that down so that we can actually think clearly and move forward. Yeah, yeah, that's another yeah another great example. I think what you know kind of the the thing to wrap your head around is that every, every no two people see the threat and the motivation in the same way. So for some people, that uncertainty of going back to school, are we on, are we off, what's going on, do I need to go get some new clothes, do I need to, can I, am I okay on my PJs, right? Some people find that to be really exciting. Yeah, and, yeah. And so that's a motivator for them, right? Because it's like, wow, yeah. it's something different, it's something new, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, where other people, if they perceive that to be a threat, they're going to say, ah, <laughs> this is really pushing on some boundaries here. So yeah. that's the thing as leaders, what you have to be aware of is that your threats and motivators are not going to be the same as, as somebody else's. Yeah, right. So important. And then as leaders, what we can do is make sure that we're staying in touch with with people to make sure that we understand how 
these are impacting them so that if there is something around certainty that they need uh, they need more information about certainty what can we do to support them if they are feeling like they're um, being triggered um, and in sort of both functioning more in that threat how do yeah. we provide certainty for them and sometimes you know we've talked about this before and sometimes that's just about spending time with people and it's about saying here's what I know and here's what I don't know that mm -hmm. at least eliminates some things and that can feel like there's a little more certainty going on you know, it gets back to that. What's under the what's under the surface, right? The surface, yeah. the water level, then all those things. That iceberg down below is so deep, and we don't necessarily know as leaders what happened in somebody's life uh, that would cause a threat or a motivational response. But um, so the the challenge to everyone who's who is listening that um, to understand yourself a little bit better too, and understand what your own. Um, triggers and, and your own contextual context is there cultural context around that so you know yourself what is a threat or what is a motivator so that you can at least be more attuned uh, to what some of your your folks that you're in relationship with might be experiencing yeah yeah leader know thyself right <laughs> yeah start there right start with yourself that's right yeah um one of the things I was um, reading, and I'll, I'll put these in the show notes, the different places that we're pulling some of this information from, um, they were talking about uh, the physical connection in the brain associated with trust, and that um, mm. trust is an emotion that is increasingly cited as a critical leadership trait, of course. We've talked about this in many of our podcasts. Um, and they talk about a 2008 study identified a chemical in the brain called oxytocin that when a person more receptive to feel trust toward a stranger. Um, so one of the things that I thought was interesting about that is one is it, it brings forward part of that research piece around that now we know about this oxytocin and what does that actually mean for us uh, as, a, as a human. Um, and so that's going on as well as, as well. So we've got the, the chemical piece going on as well as um, mm -hmm. the fight or flight kind of uh, barf model that we were talking about. So um, one of the things they talk about in here is then how do you create trust? Uh, if you're trying to create trust both from a, a physiological and from a sort of psychological perspective. And I thought it was interesting because it's all about the stuff that we were talking about a couple of podcasts back around psychological safety. So mm -hmm. yeah, making people feel safe. Um, and they talk, you know, about the brain looking at survival, you know, and that's one another thing that we talk about. And when we talk about this is that the brain's primary role is to keep us alive. And so that is, you know, why that threat, um, uh, fear or fear, fear or, now I just lost it, um, fight or flight. Fight uh, or flight, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. our mechanism to keep us safe. So that comes into play here as well. And so we yeah. have to think about how do we make sure that we are not triggering that in our folks. Like you were talking about, it's different for everybody but there are some similarities. Yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the brain functions the same in all of us, right? Uh, yeah. 
just uh, recognizing the, the differences um, in each individual that saved us. And that's the, that's a challenge. And that's, it goes back again to what we constantly are singing about is relationship, relationship, relationship. And know mm-hmm. um, those subtle nuances if you're not in a good standing relationship with someone. Um, yeah. 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 And, and uh, along with that uh, scarf model, this also brought up the um, fairness. So demonstrating fairness um, that is important for creating trust um, and then being genuine. And one of the things that, um, and this, this is a little more um, detailed, I would say, uh, we don't talk a lot about this, but it is an interesting piece of the neuroscience is that um, we have um, something in the brain called mirror neurons. Mm, oh, yes. Yeah, and they're so interesting. (laughs) Yeah, so we don't even recognize this is going on, but they were saying one of the things for making sure to build trust is you have to trust. And, I mean, we know this, right? This is important, but to know that part of what's going on is these mirror, mirror neurons in our brain. So if we as a leader are showing um, are we, we are not trusting our, uh, employees. They sense that even if we, yeah. if it's not something we're actually saying, but there are subtle clues that we are giving to them and they are picking up on these subtle clues. They might not even be able to identify what that is. Um, but they will reflect back through those mirror neurons, that lack of trust. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, all those little things that we are, um, hardwired to do. That's why they call it the primitive brain, right? These are the things yeah. that have been part of our brain system for as long as we have been standing and walking uh, on two legs, uh, even more than that, because every uh, every animal has the, the what they call the primordial brain, and it's that very thing that says, "I my my the hair on the back of my neck is standing up, and something is not right." Yeah. The other piece uh, that I love about mirror neurons. It, you cannot say that too quickly, or it is a tongue twister. <laughs> but is that we um, we tend to exhibit behavior that we're exposed to over time. So if we are around uh, someone who is behaving very, very poorly, and we're exposed to that individual for um, even uh, just a short period of time, we will begin to pick up on like behavior, particularly if we see it rewarded. Mm. Yeah. yeah, really powerful piece about mirror neurons. Yeah. Um, they they also bring up this interesting thing about how uh, in the past, uh, and it's probably been it's true today too. There's a lot of focus on uh, teaching our leaders to trust the data versus trusting their gut, and mm-hmm. the the case about balancing that, you know, yeah. we look at the data. Um, that is a really important thing because sometimes um, it will show us things that we don't know already, but then to also trust our gut. So look at both of those things. And that's also has to do um, with our brain that sometimes we aren't aware really of everything that's going on, but our body is and our brain is. And so, yeah. um, really uh, getting in tune with that, that it's, that it's something real as well. Yeah. 
and to trust that. And, you know, oftentimes if you would say, well, gee, my gut instinct told me to do X, X, Y, or Z. And what's the response that you get? Oh my gosh, you, your gut, you went with your yeah. gut on this. <laughs> you know, there's a lot to it. Lots yeah. Lots of instincts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah been around a long long time it's been around a lot longer than than facts and data i would argue i would put forth as my scientific hypothesis <laughs> today <laughs> from our dr lord <laughs> yeah no it's so good and um and we know this to be true uh even with um safety so um the importance of trusting your gut um to keep yourself safe and so why wouldn't we trust it to keep our, you know, help us be a good leader too. So balancing that additional information out with your gut. Yeah. I love it. Love that connection. Yeah. So what, what else before we move on to change management? Um, what else from a leadership perspective do you think we should think about? Oh, I have a topic that I think we're going to have to table it because uh, it's such a big topic. So I think it probably is worthy of its own uh, its own dedicated podcast. But that's we talked about trust and yeah. the oxytocin that we feel when we're around someone who makes us feel good. And uh, that is uh, charisma and the dark side of leadership. So mm -hmm. let's table that for now and we'll explore that at another time because we could spend a long, long time talking about that. <laughs> it's a little teaser for uh, the, an upcoming podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Dark side of leadership. Okay. Dark side of leadership. Yep. <laughs> so um, as leaders, we're, of course, uh, one of the biggest things that we do is help people through change and help make them make change um, in service to the um, the outcomes that the organization is trying to achieve. So when we think about change management, um, you know, for me, what comes to mind is, and, and again, recognizing that people see change differently but really helping people when we think about um, trying to stay out of the amygdala hijack. So really helping people think about how do we uh, make that change relatable to people so that it doesn't feel so strange. How do we help people um, uh, recognize what's in it for them so that there's something positive for them um, and, uh, I, I think about this from the, um, the learning, you know, we call it the learning edge, which is that you want to help people move into something that may be a little bit stressful. So it helps them move out of their habits, um, instead of staying always so comfortable, but then not so much that they aren't able to think clearly. And that's, that's that when it moves from the executive function into the um, amygdala hijack, when you mm -hmm. aren't able to think clearly, your heart races, you start to sweat. And sometimes it can even be really positive change. But it, if you yeah. feel that um, of likelihood, maybe a good likelihood that you might not um, succeed in the change or might not succeed in the new project or the um, 
you know, new technology that you need to learn or whatever this new thing is moving to the new thing. Um, then it's, uh, if we push people too far, then they can't process it effectively, move it a little bit into a little bit of stress, then it moves them out of their comfort zone a little bit, but enough to be able to positively move forward. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Crystal, because that's exactly what happens um, physically to us, right? Is that it, it, we, we, the information coming in can't move out of the amygdala. That's the little piece in the brain when Crystal says amygdala hijacked. That's the little piece that's our emotional memory center. And so that's where that fight or flight response lives. So if we get the information, knowledge, whatever gets trapped there, then it can't move to the physically move to the rest of the brain, which is in the front, the frontal lobe, which is that executive center where we make good decisions. So yeah, I'm glad you glad you brought that up because that's the the physiological response. Yeah, yeah, and and I was just okay. gonna add too, if you have teenagers, for the parents out there. The reason why your kids oftentimes, your teens, aren't don't make good decisions is because that frontal lobe doesn't fully form until you're about 24 or 25 years old. So mm-hmm. oftentimes our teens or our, our younger adults are making decisions from that fight or flight response. <laughs> and yeah, probably from that uh, relatedness. <laughs> <laughs> that is often, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're trying to figure out what their friends want yeah yeah good um i'm going to take us into the um the neuroscience of creative thinking and innovation um i think yeah this is one where um we know that it's 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 just so important there's so many things we could say about this one um one of the things that it talks about in here, which I thought was interesting because I, I, you talk about this a lot, is um, the need to focus. And so uh, the brain cannot multitask. And I think, you know, well proven. <laughs> we know this, even though as much as we say we're good multitaskers, we aren't. And for innovation and creative no. thinking to happen, it's really important that they, that we are able to focus and eliminate some of those distractions, like, um, you know, loud conversations that are going on, um, email, uh, notifications on our phones, all that kind of stuff. So how do we create those spaces for the creative thinking to happen? And that there's actually architecture sort of things that people are putting into place, companies are putting into place where they, um, they, they're basically, I don't know if I'd actually call them a dead zone, but basically they, people can't get any input from um, electronic devices and that sort of thing. So it's just time where people can really focus, have quiet to um, innovate and think. Yeah, you know, and we don't, oftentimes we think about creativity as being fun, right? It's let's, let's do something fun and be creative, but you need, dedicated time creative thinking is is work and uh, I think it's important for leaders yeah. To realize, yeah that we we tend to think of it as kind of fluffy and fun and light and it's actually your brain working so yeah also makes me think about the 
how in order to be creative and innovative, we have to let go of our fear of um, risk. Uh, And that's a bit of that uncertainty piece. Mm -hmm. A lot of different aspects there are thinking that that puts us in fear of of, uh, um, failing. And that's our our creativity and our innovation down too. And you can clearly see that there's definitely brain um, connections to that. Indeed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, So much to all this stuff. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Let's see. So we know that neuroscience um, impacts employee engagement. um, And as leaders, you know, and I think when you really look at all the different aspects of that SCARF model, it's pretty easy to see how that impacts employee engagement. Um, And as leaders being really aware of that, how how do we at each one of those, um, for each one of those aspects, how can we as leaders um, make sure that our teams feel that we're treating people fair, that there's, um, that they're accepted by the group that they don't have a fear um, that they'll be reprimanded for failing uh, that we've given them as much certainty as we can those sorts of things will really help with employee engagement yeah those are some really good practical tips yeah it, it just um it, it just reinforces the need for leaders to constantly be present with their teams and with what they're doing. Again, it goes exact right back to that psychological safety, right? Making yeah. sure that is a, such an important goal that you play as leaders. Yeah, yeah. And I would say, you know, we've talked about this specific intervention as well as a leader, but um, status is such an important um uh, aspect of this model and status for employees and in your team. So thinking about making sure that we ask uh, for their ideas and give them uh, recognition and make sure that um, that we're doing that in a consistent way and in a, a way that, um, that, that we touch each member um, that we're really aware of any biases that might be coming from us around um, giving one individual or a couple of individuals um, more accolades than another. Mm-hmm. So obviously yeah. we know yeah. different performance going on in a group, but we to not activate that um, negative aspect of status is we need to look for, even for those people that are, not performing as high as maybe the highest performers, how do we still engage them, give them, um, look for their ideas and feedback and give them positive um, reinforcement as well. Love it. Yeah, that's a good one. Not allowing your own personal biases to get in the way. Yeah. 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 And I, I think it's important for people or leaders um, 
really to think about, um, yeah, to, to, I guess, even the playing field is what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah. yeah, for, for everyone, not everyone's coming from the same place. Not everybody has, uh, as much experience or even education or opportunities. So, um, but that doesn't mean they don't equally have things to contribute. For sure. Yeah. Well said. Well said. So the other thing I just wanted to mention was also the importance. And again, we don't have a, a lot of time and this would um, definitely be a podcast all on its own, but the importance of resiliency and how important uh, the, uh, brain sciences around resiliency um so we'll we'll talk about that more in an upcoming podcast but those are really important um in especially in these times right right now where people are really living with a lot of um a lot of stress yeah uncertainty stress frustration yeah 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 yeah, no, that's a huge topic. So I, I think a dedicated uh, time for that, uh, just because there is so much in that uh, that's unfolding as well. So, and how important it is to, to your point about uh, in the, the where we're at right now in, in being resilient and the, the need for that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Oh, so much good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> to sum it up some practical ideas for leaders. Um, but before we um, jump into, we actually have a, a um, question that's been posed to our leadership of Mates. So uh, we wanna leave time for that, but just to wrap it up for our leaders, what are some practical things that they can do um, to, to harness what we know about um, the brain and also how we uh, lead as, as leaders in our organizations and in our lives. Um, so I'll give a couple of those things and then um, Danielle, I'll toss it to you also to give a couple of ideas. So I think, um, so one of, the, one of the things I was thinking about is that it's important that if we ourselves, so starting with ourselves, find ourselves um, in that fight or flight, we recognize that we have crossed over from being able to logically think into just responding, going into an automatic response. First is just to recognize that we that we're in in that, and then there are um, you know many ways that we can get out of it. Um, one of them is just to pause and take a deep breath and you can, um, you know, may take several breaths, but even just that pause will allow you to return more to your thinking brain. Um, another one is to ask yourself a question. So not a question about that's going to continue you into that amygdala hijack, like Am I going to die or I'm going to fail? Am I going to fail? But really about, well, what's possible here? What could I do? What's really going on? And that, just asking yourself a question, 
that will um, help move you into that executive function again as well. So I think it's just really important to recognize that we have control. So while things are going to happen to us, COVID, you know, happens to us, um, we may um, have a coworker that um, uh, comes uh, at us from a negative perspective. Uh, we still, we know we, we're going to have an automatic reaction to that, but we can quickly move with practice from the automatic response into a planned response and uh, move us back from fight or flight into our, into our thinking um, executive function. And then we can think more clearly and have a more um, positive um, response. Yeah, a more reasoned response is what's the most important thing at that point. So yeah, I think to your great point, you know, recognizing when you're there so that you can pause and say, I'm not in a good spot to respond right now, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but I think, to, you know, the, the point that you illustrated too is um, you really have to recognize when you get there. And that's one of the most difficult things is, so what's the physi physical response that you're having? Your heart racing, um, are, your, um, are you losing your peripheral vision? Are you sweating? I mean, there's all kinds of physical responses that we have to that. So recognizing them so that you know when to put your own oxygen mask on, um, again, is, is um, kind of mirroring what you're saying. But I think that is, to your great point, that's the most important thing that you can do to get yourself out of that. If it means um, just getting up and walking around, too, can sometimes help. Um, you know, and then, of course, there's always ice cream, uh, you know, if you need to. Yeah. <laughs> having, having a moment of I'm going to just take a 15-minute pity party. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. we have to do that. But um, I was fortunate. I worked in a Catholic, for a large Catholic organization for many, many years. And all of our um, campuses or our ministries, as we called them, had um, reflection gardens. So they had these beautiful spaces where you could go and... Um, and just be uh, and have some quiet for a minute. Now, not every place has that luxury, but finding that kind of quiet place that you can go to, I think is very, very helpful as well and just take 15 minutes to kind of recover. Yeah, I think that's so true. So true, Danielle. And that's the being aware of it in your body because that's where you'll feel, experience it first. That's what's going on. And then recognizing if you really actually need to take a break and asking for that. It's like, this is important discussion. I understand that I need a break in order to be able to engage more productively with you. Um, and let, how about let's meet tomorrow or this afternoon or whatever, but it, but owning that response yeah, and allowing that for your, um, for your staff, your team as well. That's really important. Honoring that, not just, um, holding people in the room. I think that's, um, such good points. So great. And then I think just last, I would say, if you aren't familiar with the SCARF model, I do think there's a lot um, of, uh, there's a lot of um, richness in that. So uh, as Danielle had said earlier, you can just Google it and learn more about it so that you recognize um, what you can do as a leader to, to be um, more effective, recognizing that these things are are going on so that's sort of like the the underlying reason that sometimes you're seeing some of the behaviors that you're seeing so great good oh, all right great. so i
that we have um, a question that's been asked. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, so this comes from one of our listeners and um, he ha found himself in a kind of a difficult situation. And so he's posing the question. So I, I won't read the whole email. I'll just give kind of some of the highlights, but he works for a very large international company. Uh, so kind of a brand name. And um, their environmental health and safety officer was in, and he was in kind of doing his quarterly rounds and checkups. And as he was uh, kind of uh, giving his reports or findings of his report around their um, safety compliance, one included mask wearing. Uh, he did not have his own mask on and at the same time was chewing and frequently spitting into a cup. And of course, my initial reaction is, oh, yuck. <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> but he, his violation of multiple policies, you know, uh, non-compliance with the mask wearing, non-compliance with the no uh, tobacco use policy, and not to mention anyone who works in health and safety will tell you or the medical field that your saliva is uh, a pathogen. It's a biohazard. And so kind of three big things right there coming from the highest officer in health and safety. And so our, our listener is wondering, what can I do about this? Uh, it's just such a gross violation of, of policy. And there weren't many of us in the room. And I don't want to call myself out. But he's a, he's a little concerned about his own safety in this particular situation. So which, uh, what comes to mind for you, Crystal? What do, how would you respond to our, our poor listener here who is saying, help? Yeah. I think, um, well, first of all, I would say I, I, I recognize that it would be difficult um, mm, yeah. to, to um, call this person out. Yeah. And I think... Um, you said that this person who is asking the question is also a leader, right? Yeah. Yep. So it's important uh, to be to stand up for for you for their for their folks, really, because if they noticed it, I'm sure other people noticed it as well. And mm -hmm. if nothing is done. Yeah, then, then it's going to be difficult to hold the the standard for for his folks as well and others in the organization. So yeah. I think I think it takes courage, but I do think it's important. Uh, I would, mo uh, you know, my first approach would be to actually address that person by themselves without others around, so not to embarrass the person. So as we think of our scarf model, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to put this person quickly into amygdala hijack so they feel like it's fight or flight but to um, appeal to that person's sense of maybe um, responsibility and how we're all in this together and how their behavior uh, impacts the people around them around uh, this uh, person who was the leader that has the um the question so i i think that's what i would do i would approach the person um without others around and just 
say what the impact was on them of them breaking the violation and how it will continue to be a negative impact for them to be able to do their job and see what they can we can do about that and see what the conversation how the conversation goes yeah yeah that's a great one um uh, i think too the other challenge is being that it's a corporate person and i he has it looks like from the email he's left already so um going back to corporate or onto his next location where he can chew and spit <laughs> in more meetings uh, yeah. is that he is no longer physically there so, you know, you know, how do you craft an email then that um, it ensures for that safety as well? But the other piece, and, and I think particularly given the culture, right, of an organization is that maybe if they have a um, confidential um, ethics line, maybe that they could, um, I know in, in healthcare we have um, where you can put in like an ethics violation and somebody, a third party or third person will check into it for you. So that's another approach as well. But, yeah. Um, yeah, lots, lots around this particular this particular topic. So it's always rough when you see senior folks who are in violation of, of their own policies. So not does not set a good example. No, no. Um, the the other thing that sometimes people can do. So every situation is different, and every organization is different. Yep. So you know, just knowing what's best. So the, the listener will have to determine what's best for them based on their situation. But something else that they can do if it's if they don't want to address it um, straight on is if they have a good relationship with somebody who has a good relationship with that person is to go through that route as well, is to then share your concerns about what happened with that person who has a good relationship. Because oftentimes other people... People, people will take that kind of feedback better from somebody they trust. And if you don't have a trusting relationship already built with that person, they're corporate, they're not here very often, um, you know, not a lot of interaction with them. So who might there be um, that interaction or that relationship already built in the organization? So that's another way to go at it. And then, uh, you know, that's not going to agree with you got to do something and so if there's a third sort of party um ombudsman or um ethics violation kind of thing but i that for me that's the last resort i hate to to um if it can be solved before that that's always better i think give the person the opportunity to make the change before they're you know forced to do it so that always get better compliance that way yeah, well said. Well said. And that's the that the social aspect of the scarf model, too. You know, the the status. Sorry, status. Uh, so sometimes that can get in the way. Um, if they feel like their status is being um, threatened. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's yeah. why going to somebody who's uh, a peer of them or has a trusting relationship, they won't feel as threatened. So that's yeah. that's a great idea because now you're looking at threat status. Uh, or status threat on, from both parties, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, potentially. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, great, good. So, listener, I hope that was helpful. Um, yeah, feel please keep the questions coming. If there's something else we can help with, or some where you need some additional clarity, feel free to reach back out. So, thank you to our listener for that. So, yeah, and, yep, that's great. So, uh, hoping more people will send in their questions.
Um, great. So any last um, thoughts, Danielle, before I close us out? Uh, so much we could talk about, but hopefully it uh, gives us lots more uh, stuff to talk about in upcoming podcasts. So just uh, be aware and uh, uh, be true to yourself and um, be true to others. So. Oh, that's great. Thank you. All right. So in closing, um, I wanted to remind our audience to send in their questions about leadership and leading these unprecedented times, and we'll try and answer them just like we did today um, in an upcoming broadcast. So send your questions to leadership and lattes. That's leadership, A-N-D, lattes at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about us or the show, please go to thepinnaclecc.com. That's thepinnaclecc.com. And lastly, please subscribe to our podcast. It's free. And share with other leaders like yourself that you think would benefit from this program. So thank you, Danielle, for co-hosting with me. And I look forward to our next podcast. Thanks to our audience for listening. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye.